Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, putting affordability front and centre. These are real, concrete solutions that will make life more affordable for Canadians. The Trudeau Liberals put to paper the promises made last week in London, Ontario. But can a government looking to save money really cut the GST on rental bills? Coming up, we'll speak with Treasury Board President Anita Anand. Also... We call upon the government of India to engage with us to move forward on getting to the truth of this matter. India suspends visa services in Canada while Ottawa shrinks its diplomatic presence in the South Asian country. Was it a mistake for the Prime Minister to accuse agents of the Indian government for a murder in BC? Our political observers will give us their take. And... We can choose to have our pension contributions stay in Alberta to ensure it's there when we retire. Alberta takes another step in pulling out of CPP. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Sarabio. The government has just introduced its first bill of this fall session, an act making good on the promises we heard last week at the Liberal Caucus in London. More teeth for the Competition Bureau, a move to make groceries more affordable, and GST relief for purpose-built rentals across the country. Take a listen now to the Deputy Prime Minister. These are real, concrete solutions that will make life more affordable for Canadians. More competition will ease sticker shock at the grocery checkout line. Eliminating the GST will get more housing built faster so that more Canadians can have an affordable place to call home. And small business owners will get some much-needed breathing space. Well, with more, we're now joined by the President of the Treasury Board, Anita Anand. Minister, thank you for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. So uh, I want to begin here with the GST relief on rental builds because I'm wondering about the dollar figure. Do you have an estimate of how much it's actually going to cost the government to make this happen? Well, certainly our focus right now is ensuring that this bill, C-56, on the affordability of housing and groceries, makes its way through the House of Commons. And we are asking all parties to vote in favour of this bill because there is a housing crisis in this country and we are seeking to address it. At this time, we know that thousands and thousands of units need to be built and the purpose of eliminating the GST at this stage is to ensure that we're unlocking that supply and ensuring that as many purpose-built rentals are built as soon as possible and I know that my colleague Minister Fraser is watching this very carefully and will be making sure that the supply is there and as supply increases we know that the prices are going to come down and we'll revisit this policy uh, as necessary once that occurs. Okay well I do want to get back to that in a moment so do you mean to say then that at this point the real priority is to get the money rolling and you're going to figure out what the dollar figure is down the road? Well, exactly. Our priority is, just like we did in the pandemic, is to make sure that the law is in place to unlock the funds so that the thousands and thousands of builds that were waiting to occur for some type of measure 
can actually start being built. And that's what is the priority. Uh, but by all means, this is going to be something that I, as Treasury Board President, will be watching carefully. My role is to make sure that there is the implementation of the law where taxpayers are getting value for money. And that's exactly what I will do as President of the Treasury Board. Does that concern you in any way, though? Because, of course, uh, before the, the caucus where this was announced last week in London, th there was the discussion about the $15 billion that you have asked your colleagues to look for in terms of their own ministries. If you're looking to save money, does it worry you then that you're rolling out this program without knowing exactly what it's going to cost? Actually, it's a good question. I want to say that the purpose of the spending review is to refocus spending on priorities like affordable housing, like the green economy, like reconciliation. So we're doing what every household in this country is doing right now, which is to ensure that our spending is directed where it is needed most. And that's the purpose of the spending review that we're undertaking. So this project of law that we've introduced today is part and parcel of focus focusing on the priorities that matter most to Canadians, one of which is affordable housing. Mm -hmm. You know, as a, as a contrast, because you, you are rolling this out, the, the Conservatives, uh, Pierre Polyev has come up with his own proposals, which of course is just his own proposals at this point. But he does talk about attaching affordability measures with any kind of government program. Uh, this GST uh, relief does not come with an affordability clause for builders. How does that actually help Canadians who are struggling to find affordable housing? This law is specifically driven to create more supply in apartment and other rentals. So the amount of supply is going to increase for the affordable homes, affordable apartments, affordable builds, and we are going to continually watch that supply chain as it unfolds. But what we have heard from people like Jennifer Kismat, Mike Moffat, is that supply is crucial. And this is a game changer, actually, eliminating the GST on purpose-built rentals. We are hearing from stakeholders across the country that the supply is going to increase now as a result of this legal change. And we're doing what exactly we need to do, which is to ensure that the supply of housing is going to be there. Mm -hmm. So basic laws of supply and demand being applied here. Uh, listen, I, I also, before our time is done here, I do want to ask about uh, President Zelensky, of course, making a visit and an address to Parliament tomorrow. He is right now asking for more aid, uh, not only of Canada, but other allies as well. Is more money coming? Can this country continue to help Ukraine in its fight against Russia? Well, let's be clear that the aid that Canada has put forward has been comprehensive. We have put on the table $1.5 billion of military aid thus far. We are also transporting aid from Presswick, Scotland on behalf of our allies. So over 10,000 pounds of military aid and equipment on behalf of our allies. And of course, we're partnering with other countries in terms of ensuring that aid gets to Ukraine. We will stand with Ukraine in the short and the long term, and we will continue to examine whatever aid we can put on the table. We've already put on the table not only military aid, of course, economic aid, financial aid, humanitarian aid, and it is really a priority, not just for our government, but 
from Canadians at large. We have one of the largest diasporas of Ukrainians in Canada, of anywhere in the world, and we'll continue to ensure uh, that we're fighting for what is right, and that is Putin cannot be allowed to redraw geographical boundaries at will, and that's the principle that we are standing up for each and every day. Really looking forward to welcoming President Zelensky here in Canada. Anita Anand, President of the Treasury Board, thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much. Take care. We continue to see fallout from the Prime Minister's bombshell announcement on Monday, saying there is intelligence that points to credible allegations possibly linking agents of the Indian government to a murder here in Canada. Given the swift and negative impact that statement has made to Canada-India relations, there's now a call for the Prime Minister to be more transparent about that intelligence. Take a listen to what we heard from Justin Trudeau in New York today. We call upon the government of India to take seriously this matter and to work with us to shed full transparency and ensure accountability and justice in this matter. We are a country of the rule of law. We are going to continue to do the work necessary to keep Canadians safe and to uphold our values and the international rules-based order. Well, joining us now are our political observers. Susan Smith is principal with Blue Sky Strategy Group. Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies, and Anne McGrath, the NDP's national director. Good to see all three of you. Good to see you, Good to be here. So let's begin with India here, because the prime minister's statement on Monday, obviously causing this huge diplomatic uh, row, this fallout. Was it wise of Justin Trudeau to make such an allegation when no one has been charged yet with a crime? I'll begin with you, Susan. Well, that's a big one. Uh, I think he had to do it. Uh, there were a number of things that were going on. There's the whole underlying conversation in Canada about foreign interference. So this is something that was going on from a foreign interference perspective that they knew. The other thing is we've heard in the stories that the Globe and Mail was about to go, a news outlet was supposed to go public with a story. So there would have been, I think, some serious fallout if this hadn't taken place. So I think the Prime Minister did what he had to do, was go to the House of Commons, which was the right place to do it. He informed the opposition leaders and he informed the House and the people of Canada at the same time. I don't, it's not a light uh, allegation. It clearly came based on evidence. You wouldn't go forward with something like that without it. So uh, it probably wasn't the exact timing that they hoped to have, but the Prime Minister I think needed to do what he had to do rather than the country, the world, the opposition leaders finding out in the front page of the newspaper. I continue to be perturbed about why our security system mm -hmm. is leaking. I think that's very concerning as a, you know, a secondary part of this story. But the PM did what he had to do. What do you think, Tim? Because, you know, beyond maybe not their timing, the wording was very cautious, you know, uh, uh, credible allegations of a possible link. Those are very choice words to be using in the House. They are. Um, I, I think a few things on this. One, uh, I, we don't know enough to know about why now timing. We, I've, I've heard, as, as Susan has said, the media may have been coming forward with a story you want to get ahead of it. Is that a legitimate reason to come out now? I don't know. Uh, I think he's also being influenced by the uh, criticism, right criticism, that came around uh, foreign interference and in elections and perhaps they're trying to get ahead of things as a consequence. 
Um, it's hard not to be, and I say this acknowledging that there, there is no reason for us to disbelieve anything that the Prime Minister has said or anybody else has said, but yeah, I don't want it to be an uber-partisan comment, but there is a natural skepticism out there right now, and the time, so, you know, from Susan's perspective, maybe it was, some have said maybe it was an ideal timing because the skepticism kicks in here from a, a reality-based perspective, it has moved some of the other stories, as it maybe should, off the front page about political polling. But it uh, it's unclear yet why Monday was the time. Well, it's, you're not the first person to say that because, you know, it does change the channel significantly when the liberals Wag begin. the dogish, but again, no proof. I want no to be proof. really yeah, clear. No proof, no, no proof. proof. Although, you know, that has been said. What, what do you make of it? And considering the huge fallout this has had and the impact, negative impact it's had with our relationship with India, was it wise of the Prime Minister to make that allegation? Well, it was clearly a shocking announcement. I mm -hmm. mean, that, that's like the definition of a bombshell announcement. Um, uh, and I also would say that he, that he probably had no choice and that it was a different approach than the one that he had taken on the foreign interference uh, issues earlier. But if there is credible evidence, and I, you, you know, you take the Prime Minister of the country at their word when they say something like that, if there is credible evidence that a Canadian citizen was murdered on Canadian soil by a foreign country, I think it's the responsible thing to do to, to make a, a, an announcement of that sort. I think you have to. And, and I think that uh, while it probably sent shockwaves through uh, the, the, uh, the diaspora in Canada, mm. um, I think it's important to, for, for, for the diaspora to know that this is a matter that is of that critical importance for them. And, and they, have to know that they have to know that this is... Um, that this could potentially be happening in Canada and that they have to take some steps to protect themselves and to, uh, to press the government now to actually you know, bring this to a conclusion where somebody is actually charged and, and, and tried and, and uh, you know, dealt, dealt with a punishment. Okay, but you know, The Hindu is the newspaper in India and they essentially have used their editorial pages to say the Prime Minister either has to show the proof behind these allegations or, or basically admit that he got it wrong. Uh, and there is a push. We heard Pierre Polyev saying he wants to hear more of the details behind this allegation. Is it incumbent on the Prime Minister to share more details, more of this intelligence to, to, to assure people that this is more than just bluster in the House? So we have a Modi backing paper in the middle of a Modi election calling some, for something in India. And we have the leader of the opposition who was initially supportive and very politically neutral in his response to the prime minister's uh, statement on Monday. I don't think this is I don't think Canada should be doing its um, uh, na national security issues on the front page of the newspaper. I don't think Canada should be doing its national security issues on the floor of the House of Commons beyond alerting people. We have the House of Commons committees. There are mm -hmm. people that are sworn to secrecy. I think we have mechanisms for those. And fundamentally, we are a country with a rule of law. And so rule of law, the process will take place. I am sure that the timing of this announcement was not ideal from the prime minister's perspective. But if, if, a national, if, if our security system is leaking, and we've determined that that's in fact the case, and I hope they catch the leaker very soon, uh, I think it's important for the Prime Minister to tell the story based on the facts that are there. But in no circumstances, as a Canadian citizen, do I want national security secrets or tactics or whatever aired on the front page of the newspaper? Because guess what? The bad guys go do something else. 
I agree with a lot of that, but I think the challenge right now, though, steps beyond, steps outside the protecting national security. And I think you must always protect national security. But the prime minister's created a political problem of his own making that dates back a little bit about bits and pieces of information. Yes, some of it's come from leakers. There's been bits and pieces from testimony when they've been called before the committees to talk about foreign interference. But I, I think there is this climate of expectation out there now that he needs to see, say something more. And it shouldn't be national security, but if there's a way to add more here until he does that, those questions, whether legitimate or not, are going to come. And he's got to figure out a way how to move that along. I think that if Pierre Poiliev wants to see some of the evidence, yes. he, has, he has the ability to do that because he has refused to get uh, the appropriate security clearances. So it's a pretty contradictory sort of stance to take, to say, I want to see the evidence, but I refuse to get the appropriate security clearances in order to be able to see the evidence. Because right, he wants okay. to talk about it. Okay. Yeah, right. He wants to, Poiliev wants to air it and play politics with all of it. And, and that's not wise, that's not smart, and that's not how we roll as a country. That's not how you do good law enforcement. That's and not how you do good national security. And throw an air of suspicion on the whole, you know, like make people question whether or not it was the right thing to do or not. And I think that's the, that's the quandary, I think, for the government now, is that they have an opposition leader who won't look at the evidence, won't get the, the appropriate security clearances, and they have had to be very, very probably circumspect in what they can and can't say. Mm, okay, very quickly, because I know you want to say something. No, I, I, but I think there's the broader climate out there, too. It's not just Pierre Polyev's problem, though there are things, I agree with Anne, that he can do. But there is a public climate, not just created by Pierre Polyev, that is looking for a bit more transparency. Okay. Listen, let's pause this. Obviously, the story's not going away. We'll, we'll pick it up again. But I also want to talk to you three about what we heard from the Alberta Premier today, Danielle Smith. This idea that uh, they're going to move forward investigating the possibility of pulling out of the CPP and establishing an independent Alberta pension plan. Take a listen to what we heard from the Alberta Premier. This is the, the issue that, that we have always had in Alberta, is that many of these federal programs are stacked against us. And this one, I think, shows how dramatically stacked against Albertans it is and why it's impacting our seniors. They could have higher benefits. It's impacting our workers. They could have lower premiums. Um, it's impacting our employee employers. They would be able to have savings that would allow them to invest back in their business. That's what we've got to be, um, that's what we're helping to, to educate the rest of the country on. Okay, listen, we don't have a lot of time, but I want to do a quick go around here. Uh, get your thoughts on why she's doing this and how worried Ottawa needs to be uh, about this possibility. I'll begin with you. A grandstanding, this is pure political um, ideology for Premier Smith. This is something that she's always um, espoused. I think this is, um, this is a fight with the rest of Canada, and it's actually a fight that Albertans, most Albertans don't want. This is not what people are thinking about when they open their fridges and they sit down at their dinner table and they make their cup of tea and talk about it. So I think she's jeopardizing, she's making a move that could jeopardize the pension plans, not only of mm -hmm. Albertans, but the rest of the country. And I think she's gonna hear about it from people. What she's putting forward is something that jeopardizes labor market mobility, jeopardizes, I think, bigger is better when it comes to pension plans, mm -hmm. I think, from a security perspective. And, and she's pursuing this from an ideological perspective only. This is a Danielle Smith idea. So, uh, it's a campaign promise, and, and Anne has worked in Alberta, so she knows this better than us, but it, it plays to some of the base out there. If we control it, we can do better. But as Susan well articulated, 
that the thing with investments is if you have more of them and you lump them together and you get a good return, everybody benefits. When you take a chunk out and put it somewhere else, you're less likely probably to have the same benefit of the investment. That's Investing 101 for you today, Michael. Okay, and There is so much to say about this. First of all, uh, Tim raised earlier uh, the whole idea of changing channels. It's, a, it's an old political move, right? You try and change the channel when things aren't going well. She has an absolute crisis on her hands with the E. coli outbreak mm -hmm. in the in the childcare system in, in Calgary. And this looks like a channel changer. It's not something that they campaigned on in, in an election that we just had. It is something that will be opposed by many Albertans, many, many Albertans. It's not something Albertans are looking for. It will be bad for Albertans and it will be bad for Canadians. It will cost everybody more. Mm -hmm. It will not bring the same kind of benefits for the same reasons that Susan and Tim outlined. Many business groups are opposed to it, including the Alberta Chamber of Commerce. Uh, th this is just a bad idea all around, and, and, and their numbers are very suspect. They come from, a, I think it's a 1962 study. Um, uh, it, it, very, very suspect numbers. And if every province used those, those calculations, uh, the, the cost of everybody pulling out of the Canada Pension Plan is nine times the worth of the Canada Pension Plan. So it's all around unbelievably bad politics, bad policy, bad for Albertans, bad for Canadians. Okay, but the genie's out of the bottle. They're, they're at the investigative stage, but the genie's out of the bottle, and they're making these, uh, these very uh, powerful arguments that may convince some. Is that going to be hard uh, well, to counter? It, sure, it could work with some people who feel it, but she's not factually. I mean, I get she's trying to keep a campaign promise. I, I don't disagree with that. It's probably a distraction. But if you actually want to protect your citizenry and have a solvent pension plan uh, and one that has the greater potential to work, then this probably isn't the path you go down. I think she's picking a fight with all of the premiers, much of the rest of the country. As I said, it'll have to go to referendum, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think it's when she's going to win. Okay. She's committed that it'll go to a referendum. She has to now, I think that the job now for the opposition and for people who care about this is to ensure that she does go yeah. to a referendum. Well, imagine the amount of money that is going to be spent on chasing this. There's housing affordability issues in Alberta. There's an opioid crisis. There's the E. coli breakout. And this is what Danielle Smith wants to spend a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of resources and energy on. I think it's going to annoy a lot of people. Okay. Well, again, another one that we're going to follow. But right now, thank you for the time. So, Susan, Tim, and really nice to have you back. Thank you for this. Thank you. Well, as you just saw here on CPAC, tonight was debate night in Manitoba. The three major party leaders going head-to-head -head with a provincial vote just a week and a half away. At this point, the latest polls do show a strong lead for the NDP. The latest coming to us from Probe Research that says Wab Canoe and his Manitoba NDP now enjoy a commanding lead over Heather Stephenson and her progressive conservatives. An 11-point lead which suggests the provincial NDP now have the support of nearly half of all Manitobans. It backs up an earlier poll from this week, a poll from the Angus Reid Institute. And while that firm did not find as wide a lead for the NDP, they do report a six-point lead at the halfway mark of this campaign. Joining us now is polls analyst Philippe Fournier, chief editor for 338 Canada. Philippe, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Michael. So, of course, here we are, debate night in Manitoba, the main party leaders really coming together with just a week and a half left in this campaign. 
And if the numbers are correct, I kind of smile as I say that to you, if they are correct, Wab <laughs> Canoe and the NDP have reason to be confident tonight. Uh, can you walk us through the numbers as they stand right now? Well, we have to be careful, obviously, because the polls that we have seen in this campaign have varied uh, substantially. We, we have seen polls early in the campaign that showed a statistical tie between the PCs and the NDP. But in the last few days, we saw two polls from the Angus Street Institute and also from Probe Research, the local Manitoba uh, polling firm, that has given a, a substantial lead for the NDP, including in the, in the capital of Winnipeg. So if we take the average of those polls, the 338 candidates, Canada model has right now the NDP leading uh, by a margin of three to six points on average over the PCs. But when we look at the seat projection, the fact that the NDP is so dominant in Winnipeg, in seat-rich Winnipeg, uh, it gives the NDP uh, the edge right now uh, on the before the last stretch of this campaign. Okay, now you mentioned the beginning of the campaign, and I think that's that's important to note for people who've not been following the Manitoba uh, election campaign since day one. But there has, there is rather this shift from what we saw uh, just a couple of weeks back. Did something happen for those numbers to to shift from a statistical tie to an NDP lead right now? I would say sometimes it's just voters paying more attention because this the fact that it was a statistical tie at the onset of this election was uh, was in itself a bit strange. The NDP has been leading in polling uh, in the polls in Manitoba for the better part of three years. And so uh, perhaps, again, the fact that Ms. Stevenson was still mostly unknown to many voters in uh, this country, uh, the fact that she, Mr. Pallister left a sour taste in many people's mouth in, in Manitoba, uh, but uh, we'll have to see whether those numbers coalesce around uh, single values instead of just seeing some fluctuation. So I am not ready to call this one yet, Michael. Uh, but if we have to give an edge right now, it would be to the NDP. Okay, now you mentioned the capital city, and we do know that 32 of Manitoba's 57 ridings are in Winnipeg. Uh, is that essentially where the NDP will build their government, or, or, or are we seeing notable increases for the party outside of the Winnipeg area as well? Well, the numbers disagree a little bit in Winnipeg, but they all show a strong lead for the NDP. So the Angus Street Institute has a 20-point lead in Winnipeg, and Probe Research has an almost 30-point lead in Winnipeg. And, no, and so if you have a 30-point lead in the city, you could almost sweep it save maybe for one seat or two that would go to the to, to the liberals and so if you sweep or almost sweep winnipeg that means you are already very close to the 29 seat threshold to win a majority at the manitoba legislature so yes if the ndp uh, has a strong night in winnipeg and can win the odd uh, rural riding they will be in power with a majority uh, in Winnipeg. Okay, how much of this is about leadership, Philip? How much does Wab Canoe or Heather Stephenson factor into people's decision-making right now when they're asked uh, about the, the election? We see here in the numbers that uh, Ms. Stephenson, uh, her personal numbers are lower than the PC numbers. So she has brought the, the, the PC brand down a little bit. And the Angus Street Institute does those polls uh, on a quarterly basis. They just ask every people from every province, are you satisfied or are you do you approve of the actions of your premier? And Ms. Stephenson was dead last among nine premiers that were polled uh, earlier this month. And so if 
Miss Stevenson can dig her out <laughs> or dig her out herself uh, of, of this hole, uh, she will have proven that the PC brand still remains strong in many parts of Manitoba. But as you said, leadership matters a lot, and Webkinu so far has uh, managed to get better numbers than uh, his uh, rival. Okay, so so leadership, uh, obviously Winnipeg and how the city feels about provincial issues factoring big in this vote. What about issues specifically? Is there any issue that's turning the way people feel about their choice? Earlier this week, there was a poll by ResearchCo. It's a Vancouver-based based home, and they, they, they ask respondents in, in Manitoba, what is the number one issue in this election? And overwhelmingly, the answer was healthcare. And obviously, if you're running on healthcare, the NDP uh, has been strong on this issue, and the PCs have a record to defend. And so right now, uh, I would say that the, the, the issues that are most important for Manitobans, according to the polls at least, give an edge again to the NDP. Okay, now I know you said you're not ready to call it quite yet, but you know, uh, October 3rd is Election Day, not that far away from now. Advance polls, I think they open up next week. Is there still time for the numbers to shift as we currently see them? Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Michael, especially given that there's a debate tonight. And so if one of the sometimes you can win a debate, sometimes you can lose a debate. And so if the debate is a tie right now, it could be good enough for Web Canoe and the NDP. Miss Stephenson really has to come out swinging and it has to show that she uh, she will bring change. She will bring a better administration than the Palestine years. She has a chance, an opportunity to show herself off to, to Manitobans who are maybe considering voting for PC, but are not sure. Yeah, well, of course, we'll have to uh, wait for the uh, post-mortem on the debate tomorrow, as uh, tonight is debate night. But for now, Philippe, thank you for this. Really appreciate the time. That's Philippe Fournier of 338 Canada. Thank you, Michael. Well, before we leave tonight, we did want to note an important development in Ontario. Today, the Premier Doug Ford reversing his decision to allow development in the province's so-called Greenbelt. That decision and subsequent investigations has had a negative impact on the Premier's polling numbers. It has also led to the resignation of one chief of staff and two government ministers. Take a listen to Doug Ford. I made a promise to you that I wouldn't touch the Greenbelt. I broke that promise, and for that, I am very, very sorry. I pride myself on keeping our promises. So, a major political reversal. We will continue to follow the story for you right here on Primetime Politics. But for now, I'm Michael Serapio. Thank you for watching this evening. Up next, Esther Bejan avec l'Essentiel.